The reading is taken from the first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 11, beginning at verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then... Whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It was a bit easier to listen to, wasn't it, than last week's? Okay, uh, and so we carry on through 1 Corinthians. There's a lot in it, isn't there? There's a lot to unpack, and this morning is no different. Um, and I'm excited that we're talking about food, really, to be honest. Um, and I want to tell you about two food experiences that, that I have had. The first uh, is our wedding. I think there's going to be a picture of our wedding. There you go. Um, that's our wedding feast, I'm going to call it. It was curry, of course. Um, and uh, we crammed so many people into that hall 
that the servers had to come through walking like crabs with the plates pretty much above their heads, uh, and everybody was worried about their attire as they did so. Um, but there was a buzz, there was a joy, we had speeches, we had dancing, not on the tables, we did clear them. Um, and I'm sure that you have had moments like this where there is cause for great celebration and you capture that celebration by eating together. The celebration happens with food. And the second one is this. Has anyone seen this in the shops? Huel? I didn't get a picture. Hang on. Stand in the right place. Can you see that? Yeah, anyone seen that? Yeah, oh, you can see it even at this. One person in here has seen what this is. Okay, that's good. Um, <laughs> this is called Huel. It's a nutritional complete meal in a bottle that people who are really, really busy drink instead of eating. And I bought one because I knew I was doing this sermon and it had been advertised on every platform that I am on and I fell subject to the advertising. And I was in a hurry and I thought, oh, let me just try it. It might help my sermon. Uh, let me see if food is fuel. And so I drank it on the way to mentoring at Tomlinscope and it was disgusting. So I only drank, I drank a third of it and then I gave the rest to Joe and it sat on his desk in a glass for the next four days. So he probably also thought it was disgusting. Food is not just for fuel. Food is not just for fuel. And it was probably one, in, compared to our wedding, the loneliest experience of eating I've ever had as I sat in my car and drank it. And I thought to myself, perhaps this, Huel, is the antithesis of what we are hardwired for. We are hardwired to know that food is more than fuel. And so my question to you this morning is, what is the best food experience that you have had and why? Now, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to tell someone near you if you want to. What is the best food experience you've had and why? Okay, I didn't really count, so I don't know if that's 30 seconds or not, but it feels like it. <laughs> you love to talk about celebration of food, don't we? It's not just me. Food, exactly. I don't know what you shared, but I'm going to guess that most people here spoke about an experience that involved food made with love, with people you love, in an environment that you love. We have a desire that when we eat together, for it to be more than just fuel, to be a place of love, acceptance, and unity. And the New Testament writers, when they write about the Lord's Supper, this is what they have in mind too. It's more than just the daily grind, more than just fueling our bodies because we have to. It's about life coming together in unity common union, communion. We long for something deeper. And this union, this common union, this together unity that Paul speaks about today is what he's bringing to the forefront of his challenge and his address to the Corinthian church. 
It is about their behavior at the Lord's table, about their common union, the place where they would have eaten. And it was a vastly different experience to that which we have in church today. Whereas last week's reading perhaps felt culturally quite unfamiliar, this week's reading feels familiar because we hear the words that we speak every time we share in communion. But just as Simon did this more, just earlier, I want to ask you to ask God, what is it that he wants to say to you afresh through these words today? And I'm just going to wait for a moment so that you can ask that question. Lord, what is it you want to stir in me today? At its simplest, the Lord's Supper, or communion, is an act of worship meant to memorialize the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, his resurrection, and and reflect the love and unity among those who are gathered, the members of the body of Christ. But in the Corinthian church, it was just magnifying the divisions that were happening in the culture around them. Instead of unity, it was creating disunity the very place where they were meant to be united, disunity was happening. And as a result, some of the Corinthian church were participating in communion in an unworthy manner, and their public gatherings of worship, as we heard, were doing more harm than good. Now, the meal that Paul speaks of is translated in our reading as the Lord's Supper, but I'm sure you've heard many different words for the Lord's Supper. There's the Eucharist, Holy Communion, which we use here at St. Paul's. There's the Agape meal, which sort of means love feast, the feast of love. There's Holy Mass in the more traditionally Roman Catholic experience. And today in church, it's often a small piece of bread or a wafer followed by a small sip of wine. And there are a few bigger differences. That is one of them. But one of the other big differences is that in the Corinthian church, they would have eaten this meal in the evening, which is important because of what happens. They would have observed it as a full meal in and of itself, or as a full meal with communion as part of that meal. Now, I've already said that there, were, there was disunity happening, and that came about because there was class divisions and distinctions that were so evident in Corinthian culture as a whole, and they'd seeped their way into the church. Corinthians would gather in something called a symposium in in the culture. Uh, At the time, it was customary that they would gather all together. But what would happen is that those who had wealth, those who uh, had high class in the society, would eat the better menu, and they would eat larger portions And they would eat in an inner dining room, whereas those from a lower class, slaves or servants perhaps, would eat outside in the courtyard. And they would eat a much inferior menu with inadequate food. And Paul is honing in on the fact that in the church, this practice has infiltrated into the church environment. What was happening is that those who were wealthy and didn't perhaps need to work would turn up really early. And they would eat all the best food, all the choice food. They would drink all the choice wine. And then those who had had to work a really long day, those who were poorer, those who didn't have as much, would turn up to the scraps, or worse still, to nothing. This is what was happening when they gathered for the Lord's meal. 
This is not what Jesus had intended. And it is this behavior that Paul speaks to. And the fact that the Corinthian church has become tolerant of this behavior and these class distinctions within the church shows us that there was a misunderstanding of the unity that was meant to be celebrated at the Lord's Supper. Paul calls for a self-emptying, not a self-exaltation, to examine oneself. And he is attacking the very class system and all it stands for by doing so. And he is challenging them to have a vision beyond what the culture says. Unity beyond human understanding. And unity in Christ counts for nothing if it just accommodates as the Corinthians And it is the same for us today. It can be a hard word to hear. But where we create environments that allow injustice to occur, or worse, actively initiate situations that cause injustice, we choose to walk in the opposite direction to the unity that is in Christ when we follow him. When we follow him, we are to be justice-seeking, serving the poor, reaching those on the margins. As we follow Christ, as we recognize our calling as children of God. Now, Paul doesn't separate the meal that satisfies physical hunger and the meal that satisfies spiritual hunger. He's not bothered by table etiquette. He's bothered by the practices which cause the poor and impoverished to be left with nothing, abused and humiliated in the process, and thus abusing the church of God and the unity that was meant to be celebrated. Paul is saying that the Lord's Supper is not just fuel and frivolity at the drastic expense of others. The Lord's Supper, he writes, is, so when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you are eating. Yet this is what they thought they were doing. They thought they were gathering to celebrate communion, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm going to switch to the handheld, please. Thank you. The Lord's Supper is the central gravitational pull of their meetings. We have communion once a month at our 10.30 service. We have it every week at our 9 o'clock service. But their center of their gathering was the meal. And though they would have been singing and they would have been teaching, that's not the main part of it. The main part is the meal, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul says there is more to this meal than what you have made it. And it is the same for us today. It is not simply an old ritual that we do because we have to tick a box. It is more than that. Why is it so important that it is lived out in the context of the Lord's Supper? Why, why is unity lived out in the context of the Lord's Supper? Now, there's a word. I don't know if you hear it when we do communion. I don't know if you notice it there. The word covenant. This is my cup of the new covenant. Now, that word is absolutely vital in our understanding of this passage today. A covenant in the Bible is, between, is a relationship between people or partners. It's, it's more than just a contract. If you think of a marriage, it's a relational promise and a commitment to that person. 
and it is no different then. It was often accompanied by oaths and signs and ceremonies. And more than a contract, it defined that commitment to one another. What Paul is saying likely would have been in the context of a covenant meal. Now, a covenant meal in scripture is when um, you would meet with your partner with a sacrifice. You would sacrifice your animal and then you would eat together to show your commitment. It was an act of commitment to the covenant that you were making, to the new relationship you were creating. And we have had, throughout scripture, covenants with God. The people of God have had covenants that they have broken again and again. I think there's five different covenants if you look through the whole of scripture that you can track. And it, it comes to this big moment where God's own son, Jesus, comes. And he writes a new covenant over our lives. And he restores our relationship with God. We were breaking the covenant time and again. And then Jesus came. And he made a new covenant. In Hebrews it says, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. And it is this new covenant that we receive, the forgiveness of sins and God's Holy Spirit, to help us live lives of self-giving love. We can live alongside God, partnering with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, as God renews the world. When you make a sacrifice to the gods and then eat that sacrifice in the temple, in the presence of God, with your covenant partner, that was the act of commitment. And no doubt this is what Paul has in his mind when he writes to the Corinthians. To Paul, it is not a routine to just meet together and eat together and have a great time. This is a moment where you pick up your cross and follow Jesus again and again and again. It is a moment that you recognize what God has done for you. And Paul moves into this really stark moment that you probably picked up on. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat and drink from the cup. Paul is speaking to that behavior that I spoke of. Where they were leaving the poor and the impoverished to the scraps. They were not united at all when they came to the table of God. And yet when they came to the Lord's table, they were proclaiming they wanted to recommit their lives to him. And yet were living in that, same, that very same moment in the polar opposite way to what God had said, to what Jesus had required of them. Cheap grace at its core. And so Paul goes on, before you join the feast, before you come, to give thanks for the life given for you when Jesus is sacrificed in your place. Before that moment, you must do the work of repentance. It is your work with God to do before you even get here. Spend time examining your heart, asking God, like the psalmist says, to search you and to know you, to take stock and walk in the other direction to those things of sin that are holding you back. And then walk towards the table and celebrate. It's not a somber act. It requires reverence, not because it's this dreary ritual that we do time and again. It requires reverence because of all that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. 
And can I just bring you back to your favorite meal? Or the image of our wedding meal, if you didn't think of one. And the thing is about a meal like that is it takes a lot of preparation. It didn't just happen. And the thing about food as fuel is that it does just happen. It took me approximately one and a half minutes to pay for it on the self-scanner. Now, I know it's not a perfect analogy for the Lord's Supper, but I think there's something important that we can learn to help us understand what Paul is driving at for the Corinthians. Jesus spent a lot of time around the table. The Christian church began around the table. A table that, that's food represents love and mercy and forgiveness and compassion and the action of Christ in our lives. You see, a meal that is about love, that is about relationship, has a lot more preparation involved. You can't just turn up. Even if you're a guest, you can't just turn up. You get ready to leave the house. You perhaps take something with you. You prepare to meet with your friends or your family. So we can either turn up to communion as though it is simply simply fuel for our bodies, void of depth of conviction and love because we have made it so. Cheap grace. Or we can do the preparation. We can do the work of repentance, of turning away from our sin and walking with Jesus and of reconciling with those we have severed relationships with so that we know in our hearts when we approach the table we are celebrating God's grace. We are celebrating all that God has done for us. Let the Spirit of God show us the things that we need to turn away from and that stand in the presence of God as we receive communion this morning, knowing all that he has done for us. That covenantal relationship where we can now come into God's presence. And that gospel... That is what we celebrate when we share at the communion table, when we reenact the Lord's Supper, when we give thanks. That gospel is Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and the good news is that Jesus did it for you. And in response to what Jesus has done, unlike the Corinthian church, we are to break ourselves open, just as he did, pour ourselves out in love for others. It says in our liturgy, come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own gives you a right to come, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. Come and meet the risen Christ. For we are his body. Amen.